to Battle Red Radio this afternoon on a wonderful Halloween afternoon where it's 85 degrees. I'm joined by the wonderful diehard Chris to talk about the Houston Texans loss to the Los Angeles Rams that turned from 38 to nothing to 38 to 22 as the Texans had a, a hard and, and fast cover at the back door of it to find a very moldy you know, silver lining to the end of this game. <laughs> yeah hey matt thanks for having me on again that was uh just kind of another day in paradise today until uh they decided at the end to pile on some garbage time scores which uh you know what whatever like <laughs> just the, the game was extremely ugly and terrible and you know much like everything with the texans right now whether they do something amazingly stupid or if they actually do something good i have the exact same reaction to it which is nothing at all yeah and i think for me the most exciting part of this game i don't know if exciting is the right word either is the the twitter dispute i got in with jeff allen today over his uh his new cookie factory but if you are in the dallas area and you need to get some cookies make sure to go to jeff allen's cookie (laughs) place and that was probably the highlight of the game I think I'm going to have to look that up because even though I did, I did, I, we were sort of interacting here and there on Twitter during the game. I, I seemed to miss that somehow. So I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. It's there. It's there for you if you need it. And I'm glad Jeff <laughs> is doing well and he's found, you know, another Avenue to, to make an impact um, in his own personal life after he's left the organization and, and was able to like be okay for the chiefs the two years after, which I think was the worst part about the Jeff Allen thing. It's like it goes from Houston, Kansas city. It's like, Oh, he's not, like great, but he's adequate again after being, you know, abysmal in Houston for those two years he was there. Thanks, Mike Devlin. Yeah, and well, James Campen too. It's kind of a continuation of it, you know, like we talked about before. Yep. But uh, we same, have same old thing every week. It seems with this team, and you know, just and now the the new quote regime is so vastly different from the previous one. But at the end of the day, it's it's you know, it's it's the same sadness. Yeah, I and the it, same denial of reality. I think that's a good way to put it. I think it is a denial of reality, and like I know this game was over after two quarters, and like we all knew it was gonna be a blowout going into this one. But uh, you know, I I spent I think a good chunk of time watching the game today during commercial breaks, arguing about Nick Casario doing a, a poor job the previous off season, and you know if you just kind of go back and look at it, what he did, he pretty much just put the rebuild on hold for another season. You know, he signed 30 veteran non-playable characters. He restructured contracts to create cap space to sign these non-playable characters, meaning that when he merciless saves $0 on the cap next year, and they can't trade Zach Cunningham this year, and they can't trade Laramie Tensel this year if they were ever even going to. And uh, and they did things like restructure Shaq Lawson and then trade him to the Jets for, you know, a fifth-round pick anyways, you know, after Carl mm-hmm. Lawson got hurt. And then also just like the draft too by uh, trading up to like Nico Collins, who's been, I don't know, maybe Nico Collins is good, but he's not like the type of receiver who can overcome bad quarterback play, but we don't know anything at all about him. But just like not accumulating draft picks and by making multiple trade-ups instead of doing that, not casting a wide undrafted free agent net, um, 
and just not doing typical teams do during a rebuild, you know? And that's one thing that I think has been kind of strange, just like seeing the defending of the offseason when the team is 1-7 and seven now, got blown out again, came and score any points with the quarterback they drafted in the, with their first pick in last year's draft, showing nothing as a franchise quarterback at all whatsoever, being put in a bad mm-hmm. spot to begin with. And even then, if you're going to defend you know, his offseason, um, they had no backup plan for Tyrod Taylor if he got hurt, and Taylor's been an injury-prone quarterback for the last three seasons now, too. And so it's all kind of coalesced together into a nightmare season that we kind of saw, we saw like heading into it. And I think it's been kind of even worse in a way because there's no improvements week to week. You know, every week is kind of the same and it's bad. And they try to, they don't really try different things and they do, it's still bad. And it's just been bad. It's just been compounding on top of each other, one after the other. Yeah. And it, and it gets old, really. You never want this to happen. Like the, a lot of the fans, even casuals, and, you know, casual fans and then, you know, more, you know, bloggers slash media types like yourself and others are m- more right and have been more right about this team than the team itself has been. And, you know, you're in trouble when that starts happening. You know, like everyone saw this coming, especially the Tyrod Taylor thing, because I, we all we all said it before uh, th- this whole idea about, well, you know, the Texans, they couldn't have anticipated Davis Mills playing this much this early in the season. But no, that's completely incorrect. It's. <laughs> Tyrod Taylor's injury history. We knew this was going to happen. In fact, we talked about it as an inevitability. Now, I didn't think it was going to happen in week two, but if you would have told me it was going to happen in week two, I certainly not would not have been surprised by that. Mm-hmm. And then even with, uh, I, I even saw people, you know, defending Casario on the Justin Britt signing. People saying, you know, well, it's not his fault that Britt, you know, got injured. Well, Britt had didn't play last year, and he hasn't played for two prone. years. Yeah, yeah. So of course, this is something that that should have been anticipated. So yeah, I'm, this these are the types of things that that good organizations, you know, they don't they don't step on their own dongs like this, and <laughs> we're doing that over and over and over again. And you know, and the other thing about and and I don't I don't dislike Casario. I, I mean, I'm not going to pump him as doing a great job either. But the one thing that just really irritates me is that there seem to be a lot of people who confuse. The quantity of moves with quantity of moves, or with quality of moves. He he just because he did so much and he was so busy in the off season, then that that really does not mean anything. You make a hundred moves, you make five mm-hmm. moves. I mean, are they good ones or are they not? Yeah. And and to this point, you know, I I've not been impressed. I was the one of the big red flags for me is interesting. You say that one of the big red flags for me during the draft time was uh, like you just mentioned the the lack of of uh, of uh, undrafted free agents. I mean, that's always been. That's a staple of so many teams' rosters, and good teams know how to find role player guys. And it was just such a small uh, class this year, and that just that mm-hmm. really concerned me. And you know, and lo and behold, we aren't getting much out of you know anybody as far as rookies go, other than Nico Collins when he's been healthy. Yeah, yeah, and and like even go back to what you just said too about the undrafted free agent thing. You know, that's kind of one of the things about a rebuild, though. It's like you want to sign young talent. And, like, all that means in the case of the Texans, too, right now with their, you know, lack of draft picks over the past few years because of the Larry Tensil trade and the fact that they haven't hit on their draft picks at all for the last few years, it's that you, know, you cast a wide net and you can sign players who are 26 years old instead of 31 years old, you know? And, like, yeah. a perfect example of that was, like, I really like Anthony Walker. I thought he was a good coverage linebacker in Indianapolis. I thought he was like fast and play middle field sideline real well. And it was just real rangy. Some of the Texans could use in a cover two defense. And instead of signing like a younger player, they signed Christian Kirksey, who's older and slow. And, uh, and like really, like he has a lot of tackles because you get tackles at that position of this defense, but he hasn't been good. And like that's like what I mean though. It's like you could sign a player who is 
right off of his first rookie contract who's been in the league for four years, or you can sign an older guy who started for the last seven years but is at the end of his career who's you know entering his 30s. And so they send the older guy, you know, and Anthony Walker's been very good for Cleveland's defense this year, has been great in coverage, has been able to do things like take away like deep crossing routes, which be helpful for a team that's awful defending middle field against play action. And and so it's just like decisions like that. And the second type of player I want to talk about based on what you just said is Nick Needham with the Dolphins. You know, the Dolphins were have been awful this year, but even before you know, and like last year they had some success, but the years leading up to it, they were bad, but they at least like tried their young players out. And Nick Needham mm-hmm. was an undrafted free agent. They give him a start. He was fine at the slot. He improved from there. And now he's like a consistent starter on this team where they don't find that guy if they're playing, you know, the Vernon Hargraves of the world or an established veteran who you may know the defense or someone that along the lines of that. You have to take chances on young talent, even if it doesn't work. At least you can like flip them and, and go from somebody else in the in the end. Because it's better to try like mine for gold than just I don't know collect collect aluminum cans and donate for five cents each whenever you're <laughs> at the bottom of the of the barrel like they are right now. Yeah, I, I just you, you know it's been proven time after time the last several years that that rebuilding a team does not have to be a two three four five year project if you get the right coach yeah you get the right quarterback you make the right draft picks you can turn these things around pretty quickly. So the whole the whole strategy of doing all these one year deals with veterans over just you know younger players I don't I don't really understand because let's say those guys do really well well if they do really well then at the end of those one year deals they're going to go elsewhere for more money they're not going to stay here mm-hmm. especially not with Bill O'Brien writing the contracts anymore you know I think Casario is smart enough not to not you know if if uh, you know Mark Ingram would have stayed here and had a thousand yard season he wasn't going to sign Mark <laughs> Ingram to a three year you know, $45 million yeah. deal with $25 million guaranteed like O'Brien would have. So, you know, those guys are going to be gone. So you're basically just starting over the rebuild next year. So why not get cheap, cheap, low draft pick talent, undrafted free agents, guys that you can control for several, you know, for a few years that you're not have to worry about their salaries ballooning and they can actually learn something this year under whatever coaching they get. I, I just, re- and, then, and at, least, at least then you've maybe built a baseline of a few role players, maybe you find one late draft pick who can, you know, spot start or is maybe a, you know, average starter somewhere, you know, something instead of just basically churning this thing again mm-hmm. next year. So I never understood the strategy from the beginning. The the quantity over quality also is just something I don't really understand. Um, but I, I, again, like I'm not really a disbeliever in Casario. It's still sort of a it's still sort of a wait and see thing for me because I'm also concerned that you know. I, anyone who tell who, anyone who says that Jack Easterby doesn't have any control over personnel, as long as David Johnson is on this team, that to me is just an unacceptable lie. I cannot, I cannot <laughs> accept that. There, because there, because of all the stuff that's been done with this roster, the thing that makes the least amount of sense is how they've handled, you know, David Johnson. Why he even made the team? Why he continues to play? You know, they at least on the field have you know worked him more into the passing game than he has been. You know, their leading rusher or whatever. But that doesn't really matter right now with this team. Like, there's no reason for him to be on the team. There already wasn't a reason for him to be on the team at the start of the season. And I just feel like that is a directive from above because of what happened with yeah. the Hopkins trade. So I know that's a little bit of a sidebar. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I, I would like to see Casario operate with some actual, you know, draft picks and see what he can do. 
I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not afraid that he's going to be a terrible GM. I just haven't seen anything so far that makes me, I, I haven't seen anything that gets me excited. And I, and I really haven't seen anything that makes me think, oh, he's terrible. They should move on with it. Yeah, him. I completely agree with that. And like me talking about Casario in that fashion, I'm just talking specifically about his offseason last year, how it didn't make any sense for, you know, the competitive window of the, the franchise itself. And we'll talk more about like the veteran stuff too, as we talk about the trade deadline later in the show. But yeah, like, I don't know if he's going to be good or not. I'm just, I'm just, from my point of view, it's just like he wasn't good last offseason and he hasn't done anything that really like screams like he's a great talent evaluator or he knows how to find value or he's, mm-hmm. he's good at making trades or anything along like those lines I haven't seen just yet. And also like, going back to New England too, like the Patriots haven't drafted all that well you know, the past no. few years either. So it's not like you're saying, well, look at all these wide receivers he drafted whenever it's like they used a first-round pick on Keneal Harry, who's been rumored to be cut for like, the last three years since been able to get zero separation at the wide receiver position. And so it's just like little things like that at the same time too. And we know how all these ex-New England signings go too. But yeah, like I don't I don't think Nick Casario is terrible. I don't know if he's going to be good or not in the future though. And I just don't feel like, I don't have any confidence in Casario at the moment, but it really like his entire career is going to come down to what he gets for Deshaun Watson and if he's able to turn turn his return into from Deshaun Watson and springboard that into like the next good Texans team, that's pretty much going to be like the defining moment of his entire career. Yeah, and I, and I think another thing that the fan like a lot of fans have to get out of their head is Casario obviously is a clear improvement on Bill O'Brien. Yes. Jack used to be as a two headed GM. That that's that's great that that we've improved in that area. But like, what's the point of improving from the uh, uh, what's the point? What's the point of being excited about the fact that we moved on from what might possibly credibly be the worst general manager of all time? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, at least in recent history in football, recent history, like I can't think of anyone who's embarrassed the franchise and gutted it the way that they did. So, yeah, great. We improved on that. Fantastic. That really should not matter at all. Yeah, at least Nick Casario is not trading Deshaun Watson to the Washington football team for Landon Collins and a second-round pick because that's what you know, Bill O'Brien pretty much did with the DeAndre Hopkins trade, too. And so, yeah, I agree with that. And then the other thing about Nick Casario, too, it's like about the East Peace stuff. You know, I talked about a lot with Steph last week on our three-hour exodus through the swamp of the culture of the Houston Texans. But Jack Eastby got Nick Casario hired here, you know? Like, they're good yeah. friends. They were talking whenever they tried to get him hired uh, two years ago in that summer after they fired Brian Gain as well. And so it's not like they're... Like, this is like a purely business relationship. Like, they're friends. They work together. He had him hired here. And, like, there's this weird, like, as Steph described, like, an amorphous, like, power structure that Texans still. It's not the flat earth, but it's, like, very undefined who has what role, who's doing what, and why some of these moves have been made too. But I do think, think like the worst decisions they made last offseason were just all the contract restructures. Instead of just paying those guys now, if you're going to come next year, going through it, you know, eating it so you have cap space in 2022. Because instead, yeah. like they saved $0 for Whitney Merciless next year. Zero. Because they restructured in this past offseason so they could you know, sign Desmond King only to bench him this week and have him play outside corner and those sorts of things, you know. Yeah, and... And we have no idea what's going on behind the scenes there, but I know there was a report out there today that that uh, King was benched for disciplinary reasons. Mm-hmm. And who knows what that has to do with, if that has to do with any of the stuff that was going on last week. Because, I mean, you know, Brandon Cooks, obviously, they weren't going to bench him. Uh, you know, Menehue, whatever was going on with him, he's back in the fold now. Like, we just, 
the, the, I know everyone, including myself, rags on the culture, and we should, but I mean, right now that is playing a big role, and we just really have no clue what's going on in there. I, I, I really am concerned with, uh, and, and I've heard this brought up on the radio for, from a couple of guys before, and I think it's it's very true. Like this this idea that when something goes wrong with a player, the 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 action to be taken is to get rid of them instead of to try yeah. to work it out. In a business that's built on competition and conflict and varying uh, ideas for how to do things, you you have to be able to work through those situations instead of just quitting on them and moving on because, you know, the way – if I'm if – I'm, it looks like there's not really – there's not really that overall – like that, that number one overall obvious mm-hmm. quarterback prospect that's going to be in next year's draft. But let's just say there, there was. I mean – with the way the NFL is now and how much the players are realizing they have power, what, what is to stop that guy from being like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not signing with this team. Like, I've seen yeah. enough. Like Deshaun Watson, let's take all the allegations out of it for a second, but Deshaun Watson seems like a nice guy. He's an affable guy. He's a leader. He's won championships. He's got pelts on the wall, and he seems pretty easy to get along with, and he ran that guy out of town before all the allegations started, even started up. You know, wh- why would I want to come there? You got guys who are leaders and have done things well they're going out they're going elsewhere and they're actually taking the step of saying negative things about the franchise uh in their press conferences you know you even if it's very tepid they're still doing it mm-hmm. which is pretty rare in a business where you want to keep all your options open like if i'm if i'm the top quarterback's agent i'm looking at that going no yeah. let's let's do what we can to stay out of this and i i feel like they're legitimately going to run into problems like that in the future yeah, that's interesting. And like even the Cooks thing too, like it was worked out not by or like wasn't answered by the reporters about but like as like a like a remark during the Fox telecast today that they cleared it up and they're good and they understand like the page the team is on. But it's still kinda like a weird remark. Um <laughs> I guess we yeah. can talk about this game. And he now. did not delete that tweet, by the way. There we go. And I, I guess we can talk about this game now. And like this game was really similar to the games they had against Carolina, Buffalo, Indianapolis, and Arizona. In all those games, the Texans failed to score more than 10 points. And at one point here, they had zero points going into the fourth quarter. Then Rex Burkhead had a drive where he carried the Texans into the end zone. And they went like kind of more quick, spread no huddle. And Brandon Cooks won a vertical route you know, down the sideline. The first time Davis Mills is him down the sideline, a route like this all year uh, to score. And then they were able to have another touchdown you know, after that too to make it 38-22 to as well. Uh, so I guess let's talk about the 38 to zero, you know, trot. Was there anything positive at all? Cause we're gonna try to be positive, I guess now uh, at this moment, <laughs> was there any good things at all about that 38 to zero point of the game? <laughs> anything good about it? Um, yeah. Did you see anything? It was like, well, at least this guy did that or something good like this happened, you know? Um, or uh, did Jonathan Grenard get another sack today? Yeah, but that was after um, they were down 38-0. Yeah, that was after. <laughs> Brevin Jordan's touchdown was after. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm going to go with no. Uh, I, I, you know, and I think, I, I don't think I'm the only one guilty of this. At some point, I started kind of half paying attention to the game when uh, when it got as bad as it was. So, uh, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, at least Kaimi Fairbairn, oh, wait, no, he missed his field goal too. So, no, I, I really can't think of much. The only thing I could come up with, because I asked you this question, I had to think about how to answer it too, was that David Johnson was not a focal point in the offense. And like last week, I still can't believe it that with going into the David Johnson revenge game, they looked around their team and they're like, all right, we got to make David Johnson the entirety of our third down offense. And like he had less than four yards to touch on 
uh, like the twelve catches he had, and I think they he was involved in like like five of the third down attempts they have, and they were start off over twelve on third down too, and that's really like the only good thing I can say about that thirty eight to zero trounce. That at least like it wasn't David Johnson's our offense, and we gotta rely on him to move the ball. I mean, yeah, I'll go along with that. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just really tough scraping and clawing to find a to find a positive here. You know, we we finally got to see Scotty Phillips as everyone's been screaming for, and that went about as as well as we expected <laughs> it to. I think. Um, I will say that at least one time he looked like he was interested in hitting the hole with some velocity behind him, unlike David Johnson, who sometimes looks disinterested, sometimes looks like he's purposefully avoiding contact, always looks slow, and it's just like I, I don't. I don't want to blame David Johnson because he is exactly who he was. It's the Texans' fault. You know, he seems yeah. like a nice guy. I'm sure he is. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm not, like, crying for him. He's getting his money and whatever. But it, it really he, – he is shown to be exactly who he was this entire time. So, uh, but, yeah, you're, you're right. They at least have figured out, like, we can't just be running this guy on, on every running play now. we got to work somebody else in and, you know, at, at a maximum have him in there to, to you know, work in the passing game. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. And like after they went down three eight to zero, Davis Mills kind of finally like opened up an offense against the Rams backups. Um, he was able to hit that vertical shot to Cooks, like I talked about that seam shot to Brevin Jordan. He was able to dodge some open rushers and make some plays out of the pocket too. Are you uplifted at all by his performance whenever the Texans were down thirty eight to zero? No, garbage time doesn't really do anything for me. You know the defense changes. Uh, the the play calling changes like it all it, it basically it's it, it's like a preseason type of thing for me yeah. it doesn't pre preseason to me I don't really take much solace in anything that looks good as far as like a full team concept as far as like how the offense moves the ball now like one on one battles maybe in preseason and these sorts of situations sure you know effort levels whatever you should never have to question that but but when it comes to uh, what I look at more in preseason is, is if you do really poorly, then that's a bad sign. Like if, if your starters versus, you know, their second stringers, mm-hmm. your starters are failing. So that's kind of how I look at these games. They had their starters in uh, the Texans did the Rams. I know had pulled a few of theirs and the, the concepts are different. And, you know, Mills is kind of, it's just kind of like getting his, uh, you know, he's just, he's just going on his first read and it doesn't really do much for me. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that too. And like, it's kind of like how you end up with like you can't watch preseason stuff and be like, oh, I'm excited for this player because every single time that happens in the preseason, the regular season rolls around, you're like, it never continues forward. You know, like I can't think of one example where a guy a great yeah. preseason, the regular season comes, you're like, yeah, they got this guy finally figured it out or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I agree with Mills too. And like, they weren't there wasn't much of a pass rush there, and things are open. I the thing that frustrates me though, it's like. I, I don't think Davis Mills is good. And I've been saying this since he's been drafted. And I'm going to keep saying this, you know, and, and keep being that horn, but or keep playing that horn. I guess you beat the drum and play the horn. But like Tim <laughs> yes. Kelly's offense, though, they're completely like hiding him. And I think that kind of like answers this question its own way. Like, yeah, Davis Mills isn't good. So this is the offense they use with him. But you have to at least like do something by this point. You know, this isn't his first career start. We're now at the. I guess the sixth game that he started, you know, for the Texans to this point, they're 0 6 in each one of these starts. But like, if you're just doing the same thing where it's run the ball, run the ball, you know, third and eight, uh, you know, he gets blitzed by Aaron, he gets, you know, blitzed and then he throws the ball out of bounds. 
Like, that's it, but there's no shots taken. There's no vertical shots down the sideline, which is one thing he's pretty good at Stanford. There's no, like, stretching the defense and running route like route matchups that create kind of any sort of easy throw. They don't even throw the ball to the intermediate part of the field. Everything is just, like, hooks and comebacks to Brandon Cooks or quick out routes. And it's just the same offense they've been running for six weeks now without any changes to it. And so the one thing I just want to see, like, with Tim Kelly is that offense that you kind of run whenever you're down 38-0 that's more spread, more up-tep, and more hurry-up. Run that sometimes in the first or second quarter. It's okay. You can mm-hmm. do that. And it's like the same Bill O'Brien sort of thing, too, you know, that we've seen <laughs> with this Bill's offense. Bill O'Brien. Yeah, like, <laughs> Bill O'Brien still haunts these halls on, on Halloween today, you know. And I just, like, you have to know more about Davis Mills instead of just being like, well, you know, we start him a lot, but the offense wasn't built for him. We weren't ready for him to play. You know, we yeah. liked some of the stuff we saw. Maybe we can keep him and another guy going in next year. We don't draft a quarterback or whatever else they do. But I could see them talking themselves into Mills just because they're not even pushing him at all at the moment, you know? Yeah, that's, I think, all of our fears that is that they're just going to do that thing that coaches and uh, and teams do when a, when a team struggles, which is, well, you know, we did not put him in a good position to succeed and we didn't have the players, you know, basically saying we failed him as a quarterback. Or in the, you know, my favorite one, though, is the dreaded um, he's done all the things we've asked him to do. Yeah, that's a good one. Which I've heard Cully say several times. And I'm just like, you, you OK, you asked him to just go out and, and basically get shut out all these games on the road. I, just, I don't <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I know that there's not guys around him that are making he doesn't have a lot of talent around him. But if he's going to flash as a as a top quarterback, he's going to. You know, then there's going to be if it's there, you're going to see some flashes here and there. I know it's his first season, but yeah, the the last thing I want is just to go into next year where they feel like, you know, well, next year we're going to have, you know, another season of the offensive line is going to gel and uh, in the offseason, they'll be able to come together better and more, you know, get another get some more skill position players for him. And he'll be much more set up to succeed in year two and he'll have a full offseason and. Blah, blah, blah. Like, that's the thing that, that yeah. terrifies me, especially since it doesn't look like there's a tip-top quarterback mm-hmm. right now. But see, you know, again, even in the last several years, it's been proven out. You don't have to have the number one overall pick to get a good quarterback. I mean, just look at the year that Deshaun and, and Pat Mahomes were taken. Yeah. You yeah. don't have to have the number one overall pick. If they can stack picks and maybe get, you know, a, a really great edge rusher and then get a quarterback, that, that would be fantastic. But we just have no idea what this team is when they draft either. So yeah. a little bit of a tangent there, but those are, those are our concerns for next year that we're just going to roll with this guy continually. Yeah, for sure. And like, I mean, for this game, tangents are kind of what it's all about, you know, cause we're seeing the same stuff every week. You know, like there's not like a new dimension. There's not something added. And you know, this offense are down 38 zero is a good example of that too. Like it's the same thing that they've been doing. I just like the possessions. They're like sack run, throw the ball out of bounds. You know, like they've, they've, somehow made it worse than run, run, pass on third and eight in a different way. Like, this is the worst run offense in football. There's only so much they can do. And, like, I do think they failed Davis Mills. But that being said, like, even, like, Watson's rookie year, like, he had the big touchdown run against Cincinnati in that, like, spot start, you know? And, like, even Uh with Lawrence right now, you're seeing, like, these throws that are incredible. And even with Zach Wilson to a certain extent, like, Fields had a big scramble today. Like, you're seeing things that, like, this is a start, like, this is something a starting quarterback could be built around or offense be built around. And Mills doesn't even show that at all whatsoever, you know? And so even though they failed, though, Mills hasn't really shown anything at all whatsoever. 
Um, you know, going back to the run offense here, Houston ran the ball 14 times for 44 yards. Rex Burkhead led the team with a long of 14, so that comes out to you know, 13 carries for 30 yards if you remove the outlier. Burkhead had four carries, Phillips had five carries, Lindsey had three, and David Johnson had two. Without Mark Ingram, they took more of an amorphous approach to their backfield, and they still averaged 3.1 yards a game. Um, are you like? Is this run offense being as bad as it is? Is it the biggest disappointment to you this season? Oh man, that's that's a great question. Biggest disappointment, uh, probably so. Especially because we had been sort of told that the again what I just mentioned about going into next year that this offensive line was going to be better this year. They added Britt. They had mm-hmm. um, they they moved Titus Howard guard for some reason. Another year for Sharping and Tunsil and and all those guys to sort of gel and play together. So I think I think a, one of the one of the narratives of training camp was the offensive line looked pretty solid. They should at least be a pretty competent group, and they're terrible. And it's just so frustrating. And then you on top of that, you add the fact that we have a rookie quarterback. So now you need you really need that running game to help him out, and you don't have a good defense, so he's not getting any help there either. Uh, yeah, I, I would say the running game is probably the biggest disappointment because that also was one area where I thought, well, you know, they really don't have a lot of excuses because the offensive line, they've, they've got their new offensive line coach, so we don't have the Devlin excuse anymore. They At least some of the players have had some chemistry. They, have, they moved some positions around, positions around. And on top of that, as far as talent-wise, you know, there's some higher picks invested in that, in, yeah. that, in that offensive line, whereas that's not the case in other position groups. So really, to me, the offensive line has, has no excuses to be as bad as they are. Honestly, even if they were just kind of like below average, I would be upset because I feel like with the amount of mm-hmm. time and the coaching and the talent that they've invested in those guys, I, I feel like it should at least be an average line, but they're terrible. Yeah, that's a great point because like, I never thought of it like that. Even if this was like they're out, even like even if this was this run offense was, you know, 18th by DVOA, I think I'd still be like, yeah. Even after all this investment, it still is like terrible. And like even with Larry Tunsil out there, it's been still it's still been terrible too. And like, it's like of, watching the same offensive line. Oh, pretty yeah, exactly. What, he makes no difference. Yeah, yeah, he, he does it. Now that was kind of leading me to my next question for you. But uh, yeah, talking about the run offense right now. Like last week, the only thing they did differently was they ran a lot more trap and power. And it was like, I guess, slightly better. But they don't really let Davis Mills check anything at the line. And so against Arizona, they played a lot of single high. They never ran vertical routes at all down the field. And Buda Baker just kept like crawling into the box, you know? And they're like, yeah, you can't block. Like, well, there was a few runs where everything was blocked. And you're like, okay, maybe. But Buda Baker is right there making a tackle from the back. And the other thing they did that, that's been driving me crazy, too, is they run split zone a lot. And all a split zone means is that you pull the tight end from the play side of the formation to the back side to make sure nobody chases you backside. And they're doing that because the running backs are bad and they're worried about the unblocked edge defender. You're running behind the line of scrimmage and making a tackle. But by doing so, you're making impossible angles for some of these guys. Like you see Charlie Heck having to block a linebacker who's head up with the football from the tackle position. He can't do that, you know? And so mm-hmm. that's the, the second thing that's been driving me crazy with the run game lately. Uh, but this game, the Texans had, they allowed five sacks and nine quarterback hits. And going back to Tensel, how do you think the Texans' pass rush held up in this one? Or their pass protection, uh, I should say. I mean, it's not like they got a lot of sacks against us, but I mean, you could see that Mills was under pressure. One thing I, I think we both complimented Mills on before, and it wasn't so mm-hmm. much evident today, I think, as it has been in other games. He, he doesn't seem like the type to bail out of the pocket and try to run. 
or just, you know, get out and try to, he, he also doesn't, doesn't seem to try to make a spectacular play when he shouldn't be. He doesn't seem fearful in the pocket, yeah. which considering the type of offensive line he has is, is impressive. I mean, the, the Texans are better at pass blocking than they are at run blocking, but that's not really saying much. Uh, and I, and I at least, I at least see better. I don't, I don't even know if pocket presence or pocket awareness is the right word for Mills. I, I at least see that he's not fearful in the pocket and he's, he's already better at that than, you know, he who shall not be named ex Houston quarterback ever was in his mm-hmm. career when he played here. So that's like the one compliment I, I, I would give Mills is that at least I see that he wants to stay in there and make the play. I, I just wish he would try to push down the field a little bit more often. And, and as long as we're on the offense, I want to make one other comment. It, it, this is at least the third time this season that I've heard announcers during the game, either, either specifically stated out loud or, or intimate that the Texans' biggest problem on offense is all these penalties they keep getting. Their biggest problem is they <laughs> don't have any talent. Their biggest problem is that they can't play. We can get maybe to the penalties as the third, fourth, or fifth issue, but let's start with a horrible talent deficit and a depth deficit and players that just don't seem to be uh, be they, they're not they're not they're, they got guys playing out of position I, I you know i think everyone agrees that howard's a better tackle than he is a guard yet they remain steadfast with that it's taken them finally till this year where they're not featuring david johnson as runner like we talked about but he's still there so i i, I just there's so much more going on before we get to penalties yeah i love that it kind of reminds me of two whenever they talk about like Mills said today, he feels like his accuracy is, is his best trait, and he's like one a very inaccurate quarterback. But they're showing his completion percentage today; it's like sixty two point five percent. The second month rookie quarterback, so you look at his stat line the first half, he's like eleven for fourteen for seventy five or ninety four yards. You know, it's like yeah, when everything is seven yards short of the sticks and he's throwing four yard routes, he should have a completion percentage of sixty four percent, and it should be yes. close to like ninety percent on these throws too. You know. And uh, that those two things have just been in my crawl, but yeah, it's very funny. Um, I think the pass protection for this game, like I don't think Jaron Christian was bad at all, but what they did is they put Leonard Floyd against Charlie Heck, and Charlie Heck couldn't, you know, last with Leonard Floyd at all. He's just too fast from off the edge in this one. And, like Heck's been in all like in our right pass protector. Like Heck is a swing tackle, you know, he's not a starting right tackle in the NFL, and he's having a good chance at it with you know Larry Tunsil going down. But a lot of the pressure here came on the interior, which was expected. You know, you have Aaron Donald one versus one matchups against Ty's Howard and Max Sharping, and that went about, went about how you expected it to. Um, Gaines had a good game too on the interior. They blitzed some to create pressure, and so it wasn't really much of the tackle position, like looking at Christian specifically, um, as much as it was on the interior, which is pretty similar to how it was against Arizona too. But yeah, like going back to the Tunsil thing, like it really doesn't matter all that much that he's not here. They couldn't run the ball with him. And then Christian's been a fine pass protector where, you know, the only good thing about Tensel is that if you're playing, you know, Yannick Ngakwe or, you know, Max Crosby or Harold Landry, they're not going to destroy your entire game plan. You know, you're going to be able to limit those guys to like maybe one sack and and a quarterback hit instead of like two and six quarterback hits and that sort of thing. Like that's the only benefit from being here. But like you saw today, they just moved Leonard Floyd to the other sideline scrimmage. Now he's against Heck, and now it doesn't really matter who's playing left tackle. Yeah, yeah, and just I feel like we're just beating a dead horse here at this point with Tunsil, but as expected, like we said, I, once he 
one as as long as he's been out of the game, out with his injuries, I just don't really see any difference in that left tackle position. And you know, like they they can't trade him this year. Just there's too much of a. It's financially, it just doesn't work. I, I wish they would somehow find a way. Um, but I, it's just so frustrating that that wasn't more of, a, of an offseason priority to me. So, you know, what can you do? I, it's just it's just very frustrating to see things that to me and to so many others is so obvious to change mm-hmm. and, and nothing was done about it. And now you have some guy that literally no one's ever heard of come in and replace him. And, you know, he's not great, but he's he's whatever, you know, he's a he's a replacement level player. And it's not changing the way that the Texans are 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 playing their game. They're not having to give him too much more help, I think, than they would give Tunsil. But again, that's also about who they're matched up against. Yeah, well, I mean, they were chipping for Larry Tunsil earlier this year as well, too, which was like yeah, the right. funny. So like, it, when, that would, I mean, they did against Cleveland, they did against Jacksonville some, and of all the things that just drove me insane this year. It was Larry Tunsil getting chipped, you know, getting help on the edge. And it's like, why even have him here? Like, what's the point of having him on this roster if you're going to chip for him? Yeah, it, it's it, exactly. I mean, what more can be said about Tunsil than we haven't said already? It's just, it, it's a, it's an era of Texans football that I'm looking forward to being in the rearview mirror. Hopefully, hopefully next season. I, I don't know. I just, I, I really hope that he's not not the one guy that they're trying to hang on to until they get their quarterback of the future because that's probably when Tunsil will start to quickly degrade. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've seen left tackles be able to play for a longer period of time, like. Yeah, Dwayne Brown, Whitworth, guys who are Yeah, that's are a great, great example, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> guys who are like, you know, really great. Like, I think Dwayne Brown should be a Hall of, uh, Hall of Famer as well, too. Um, but, like, guys who are, like, have been elite left tackles. And I think, like, Tensel's a top five pass protector of that position. But it's everything else that is bad. And, like, Brown's a really good run blocker still at age, you know, 37 or whatever it is this year for him, too. Who just got, mm-hmm. you know, his contract, went through the same thing with Seattle they went through in Houston. They were able to, you know, work that out. And he's still there and he's still playing a high level, too. Um, but yeah, like I again, I think this game was a lot, of pr- a lot of interior pressure, pressure against Charlie Heck, not so much on the outside too. And like you know, Mills was was covered in Rams defenders through a lot of this game too. Um, I mean, I think kind of the big thing offensively though, it's that Brevin Jordan finally got to play today. Farrell Brown was put on, uh, was inactive because of a hamstring injury. Sky Phillips was able to get a few carries, led the led the team with carries with five. Um, in this one, and I think he had like 11 yards, and I only had like 2.2 yards of carry. But hey, it's something. And then also Nico Collins it, had more touches David too. It's not David Johnson Yeah, <laughs> it's not David Johnson. And Nico Collins had some more touches today too, like especially off play action, which is kind of like the only way that they use him is it's play action. He runs a slant route against cover three. Um, so do you think it's finally time that the Texans are going to start feeding the kids on the offense? I mean, it sure looks like it. I don't. I don't see. I. I, I can't imagine what the drawback to that would be. Uh, you know, Nico's looked pretty good in his limited his limited snaps. Um, it's hard to tell about Brevin Jordan. I kind of. I kind of felt like Brevin Jordan would be. I would have a much a much bigger impact on this team this season rather than seeing him inactive every every week. But uh, it looks like maybe he's just sort of a of an Aikens clone. Not you know yeah. not much of a blocker. He's more of just like an athletic pass catcher. But I mean, at this point. We, we didn't see a ton of Jordan today, but I didn't see him committing any penalties. And, you know, Aikens is good for one or two stupid penalties every game, it seems like. So I, I don't know. Maybe he maybe he bumps his way ahead of Aikens. I, I, I don't know that that's one of those. That's another one of those position position groups that I heard a lot of people saying was going to be a, a strength of the 
of the Texans. But I don't know if Aikens, Aikens just seems like he's kind of taken a state, step back this year. You know, Farrell Brown's a little bit better than we thought he would be, but he, at least he can block a little bit. But mm-hmm. no one else on the team has any interest in that. But, you know, that's team building. That, again, is on the front office. And they, I guess they feel like they need one guy who can maybe block okay, and the rest of the guys are just these almost wide receiver hybrid pass catcher types. Yeah, and I, I think that's why Jordan didn't play earlier this year is because he couldn't block very well at all. Um, and he's kind of like a weird, like, athletically for a tight end, too. Um, and that's why he fell in the draft where he did. But he's, at least he's good after the catch, and the Texans don't really have that at all. But, yeah, like, Aikens can't block at all whatsoever. He's also 30 years old, too, you know? Yep. So he's not, like, a young player at all either. And so it's like, what are you going to do? Play the 22-year-old tight end who has some upsides as a pass catcher who maybe had problems blocking or play the 30-year-old guy who doesn't, who's kind of is what he is at this point, who can't block either. Which one are you going to do? And they've been playing Jordan Aikens instead. And like now we saw you know, Jordan get some snaps, you know, finally, but it took Farrell Brown to get hurt to do so. But yeah, like, I don't want to watch Jordan Aikens really play again. I know what he is, and he's an awful run blocker. And like, I want to see what, you know, Brevin Jordan can do here as well, too. Um, and like, I think Brown's like a, probably the best run blocking tight end the Texans have ever had in the entire franchise history. And they don't really give him very many looks and in, in pass cover and like pass receptions, too. But yeah, like, I hope we see Scotty Phillips from here on out. I don't know if Scott Phillips are good, is good or not, but I know that Philip Lindsay's bad. I know David Johnson's bad. I know Rex Burkhead's bad. You know, and the same thing with the tight end position. Like I don't know Jordan, if Brevin Jordan's good, but I know that Jordan Aikens isn't. I don't know if if Nico Collins is good, but I know that Chris Conley isn't. You know, and so at least like right. figure out like get rid of some of the like like in video games that you play a re- real time strategy game. Go to the dark spots of the map and uncover it and see what's out there, you know? And they're constantly, like, yes. operating the same, like, little village, the same insular amount that we don't know what's going on with some of these players, and you don't know what you have next year. And so, like, it's just been... This whole team's been stagnated this season for the for culture purposes, and next year they're going to have to rebuild the rebuild they already started instead of just, like, effectively, like, pulling the plug and starting over. So, I don't know. But at least, like, playing these guys offers some hope to, like something valuable to be had next week against Miami, you know? Yeah, for sure. And and especially, again, the running back position, it just doesn't make sense to me. Of all the positions where you can find a, a cheap guy mm-hmm. or a young guy to do something adequate, why is there this much – why was there ever this much money tied up in the running back position in the first place, especially when you're on a team that's going nowhere fast, and you can literally just – Either pluck someone for a practice squad from a practice squad who's looked like they have potential, or you know an undrafted free agent back during during the draft. I, I just that position especially really confuses me the way the way that they're handling it. You know why Rex Burkhead? Like just yeah, why him? Why not pluck a guy that you've seen some interesting stuff from on a practice squad somewhere? Why not take a chance on a guy who was an undrafted free agent in college? And see if you can develop into, him into something more, because you're not going to change the guys who are already what they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and also it's bizarre too because all they've been preaching this entire year is competition. Well, you preach competition, and then you give Burkhead a roster spot, and he's there every single week, and he's old and bad now. And it's the same with Daniel Amendola. You preach competition, and Amendola is given a roster spot and is out there every week now too. You know, and so like what the what they've been saying about the culture doesn't match the results they've actually had in the playing field. Oh, and, yeah, no. uh, and like, and like, yeah, it's the same thing to the running back position. It's a fungible position. Look what the Browns have done to Ernest Johnson. You know, he's an undrafted free agent who's bounced around the league and is the third best 
running back on the Browns, but it's better than any running back the Texans have, you know? And uh, by I, far. And I completely agree with you, too, on the practice squad thing. Just sn- search around, sniff for guys, yeah. you know? And, any, and that's at a, any position right now at the moment, too. Yeah, you know, another position where, where, that I think would be a great thing to just pluck somebody from is is punt and kick returner. Yeah. If you're going to get, if you're going to sit De, uh, Desmond King, or if, and, and if, you know, he's not going to be your future at that position anyway, then just go find a, a guy who's shown some promise and pluck him from someone's practice squad and try him, you know, see if, see if you can coach him up. I just, it really, it, it, there's certain positions where I just really don't understand the strategy. You know, others, I get it. You know, you want a more veteran guy here or there, but, but there's a few positions where it just, it just utterly confuses me that they don't take more advantage of the rules that are afforded them mm-hmm. uh, to, to be able to go pluck someone from someone else. Cause everyone's got film. You know, and then take a chance, and then maybe this guy can become something, and you, um, you know, you may control him for a few more years than you would some of these veterans who aren't going to take you anywhere, anywhere anyway. Yeah, I agree with that too. And and it, again, it's just like where you where you put your resources in, into it. And like I know, like Casera was given, you know, rubble to sift through after Ed O'Brien's wake, you know, to go all in yeah. to get their head kicked in by the Chiefs in the second half, you know. But like you can still make good football moves and do things to to make sure that you're not wasting a year, and that's what the Texans really have done this year is they've wasted an entire year delaying the inevitable, and uh, and next year like hopefully they pull the plug. But it really kind of just comes down to whatever they trade for Watson at the moment. Um, defensively in this game, the Texans had two stops on Matthew Stafford, both of which were drops from the Rams. <laughs> One was on yes. fourth and two where Jalen Henderson dropped a pass where Cam McGregor Hill was completely out plays. But the ball's a little wide. Henderson couldn't quite get both paws on it, um, and that stopped it. The other was Robert Woods dropped a wide open, you know, uh, in route over the middle of the field to convert, and that led to a punt two on third down. And it was like third and six, I believe. That was it. Every other time, the Rams scored every possession, had no issues being stopped at all, um, no no problems at all moving the ball whatsoever. Of all the awful things on defense today, which one of them drove you the craziest? Oh Lord. Uh, I mean, I think really the, I would say lack of pressure, but I've become to expect that every week. Um, I, yeah, I guess, I guess really just the Lonnie Johnson is the answer. <laughs> yeah. It's, I kind of feel bad. I mean, I'm trying to think there's so many things, but I'm just going to give you one name and it's Lonnie Johnson. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I kind of feel bad, like piling on line Johnson as much of as much as I've had this season in general, you know, and like, it's an example of wanting to watch the younger player play a new position at safety instead of Eric Murray. Cause you know, what Eric Murray is and like, I didn't think line Johnson junior was good, but at least like we know for sure he's really bad and we don't have to do much at all from there. But I think that's a good response. And for me, like picking off the Johnson thing too, who I count five missed tackles from Johnson junior, one of which was on the first play of the game. <laughs> and then he also uh-huh. had the, the play against Robert Woods on the end of round where he's standing still being blocked by the center, just watching Robert Woods, just standing still, like no, <laughs> no, like even attempt to get wide. And like he, and it's not even like he was walled off. Like the run went outside of him. He could have worked outside, try to make a tackle. It was like, I'm done. Like I'm done trying to tackle day, but I count five missed tackles from Johnson Jr. But to piggyback off that, for me, it's just like the angles, you know, they've been taking on some of these runs where like whenever your first day of football in middle school, what they do is they make you run pursuit drill over and over again. So if somebody mm-hmm. gets outside, you run at an angle because it's a shorter path to the ball carrier. You have to run a straight line. And they teach you that. And you do that for like every day for three weeks or whatever until the season starts. 
I guarantee you they've been doing the same thing. But for whatever reason, this team can't tackle. And like tackling is a skill whenever you have a, a talentless defense, like you expect poor tackling. But just the angles they're taking, it's like it's like this entire defense doesn't know what geometry is. Like I really wish Levy Smith could mm-hmm. go into, you know, just like get like send him to like a middle school math class, teach him some geometry, teach him pursuit angles, because it's a very simple thing, you know? And just like when the simple things are as bad as they are, the more complicated things like carry the seam and cover two becomes an becomes an issue as well when you can't do the very basic parts of the game. That's so funny you said that because I was gonna say that drill is was my first exposure to geometry in my life. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you would think, you know, it, it, it. I mean, I wasn't great at it, but I'm not an NFL player either. So, <laughs> but you know uh, that you know you, it's a it's a shorter path if you go at an angle in a straight line. You'll know that for the rest of your life. Yeah, See, football I mean, is more just, than football. It, definitely, like it'll teach you some uh, obvious life skills right away there. Yeah, uh, like so, doing uh, doing up downs in a sticker field hurts. That uh, it's really hot in August whenever you wear pads and a helmet, you know. Yep, I also had the unfortunate uh, uh, um, experience of being a bench player who injured our star running back in a in a hitting drill. So it's tough. <laughs> I, I had I, I got shunned by the rest of the team for for hurting our number one guy, but he was a dick, so no regrets. <laughs> no, no regrets. Spell with an with the A instead of an E. No, <laughs> um, but yeah, that for me, that's what drove me crazy. And like the pass rush wasn't very good, but it's such a hard offense to defend, you know, or like, I mean, it is. It, it's, Those a, guys it's are pretty tough, good. you know, and they're all over the place. They stretch you horizontally. They stretch you vertically. I think the only thing they did well was they took away the deep pass, but like they kind of took away the deep pass because the line Johnson juniors 30 yards off the ball in cover one, you know, it's kind of hard to run past that guy, but Van Jefferson was able to against cover three out play action where he beat him on a post. And that was the, the big play of the game for the Rams in this one, aside from the Cooper cup 55 yard reception. But a lot of that was after the catch though. Yeah. Um, the Rams run game though was really good today. And the Texans, I think are 30th in run defense DVOA. And this is a team that in 2018, you know, three seasons ago, if you forgot, was an all-time great run defense with DJ Reader and Clowney and Watt and McKinney and Cunningham. And uh, I guess you can throw, like, some Angelo Blackson in there, some uh, some Brandon Dunn in there, some Tyron Matthew in there. But, like, all those guys are gone, you know, except for Cunningham. And I didn't think I even saw Cunningham on the field at all today. Like, I now that I'm sitting here thinking, I, I did notice I don't him remember. on one play. Okay. I saw, I saw the number 41, like, throwing his arms up trying to trying to get over somebody during a during an uh during a play on defense it wasn't special teams just to be clear <laughs> he hasn't been he hasn't fallen that far but he uh I, I did see him at least once but that does not at all mean that he played more than that one play yeah i i don't that i'll whenever i go back and watch the game the coach's film i always have to go back and watch for zach cunningham and see if he's done anything where he did make one outside the box tackle against Arizona it's like that was Zach Cunningham from three years ago whenever uh, Brandon Reeder made his life very easy along with Benarger McKinney. Uh, but this game, the Rams run game had 31 carries for 165 yards. Darrell Henderson at one point had outgained the Texans entire offense in the first half when he had 14 carries for 90 yards with 6.4 yards to carry. Sonny Michelle is a bad running back, but the Texans were able to make him look good. He had nine carries for 42 yards and it was a Buddy Howe revenge game with five carries for 11 yards, which comes out to 2.2. <laughs> he pretty much had the same stat line as Scotty Phillips. And then Robert Woods had three carries for 22 yards. Um, you know, like, and it, it kind of goes back to the same thing, too. Uh, the Texans signed a lot of guys on the front seven this year, 
not so much in the in the secondary. Like I really wouldn't count Traymond Smith and guys like that. They signed Mitchell play outside cornerback, but most of their investment went to the front seven this offseason, and the results have been a bomb five pass rush and one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, what else do you expect from this front office at this point? It, it, it seems like every 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 larger concept swing that they took, like when you're talking about more macro things, position groups, uh, rather than just individual players, like every one of those things has gone, I think the opposite of what we were told, the offensive line, the front seven, Oh, the secondary, you know, they were going to, they, what the secondary was already suspect. And what did they do? They traded Bradley Roby, who was their best corner, which is not a great place to be. And, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm just very frustrated with, the strategy of the front office that has led to all these things that it seems like everybody saw coming except for the Texans themselves. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and also just like playing guys out of place too, you know, and at least like they're playing their best players now, like at least Jonathan Greenard's playing, you know, the most snaps at the edge position. It's like, I don't think Charles Mann, who's a great player at all, or like somebody who's going to have 10 sacks a season, but just rushing him on the exterior when you know he's not good at that spot instead of letting him do what he's naturally good at, which is being an interior rusher. I think Malik Collins has been a good interior rusher aside from all the penalties. Um, maybe they could trade him by Tuesday. You know, and like I know Kirksey's bad. All the linebackers they sign, they don't exist. You know, I saw uh, some Neville Hewitt out there today. I saw some Kevin Pierre-Lewis out there today. Like Kevin Pierre-Lewis has benched in Washington last year for John Bostig which, you know, says a lot about Kevin Pierre-Lewis. Uh, but yeah, like those guys don't really exist despite they signed eight linebackers, you know, to, to create a, a faux competition at that position too. And like, I like Cameron Gregor Hill, but what is he, you know, the 30th best linebacker on the football, the 45th best linebacker on the football? I, I can't tell you exactly what, but he's not like a, an anchor on the front seven as well either. But yeah, like watching the Rams yeah. just run outside zone and get to the second level, make tackles miss, or just even seeing, watching like, the Texans run fits where you see three defenders in the same gap. Like you see that a lot of times you see two guys <laughs> right. in the same gap and then you just watch Henderson bounce it outside. And there's nobody there, but Lion Johnson jr. And then he breaks the tackle and it slows him up enough for the cornerback to come in, you know? So it's kind of one of yeah. those games for the, the Texans front seven. Uh, yeah. And even early in the game, even the, the CBS or the Fox announcers noticed it when no one had the outside between Justin Reed and uh, I forget who el- whoever else it was that was coming up. Probably the box Mitchell, and- I would guess. Yeah, it was Mitchell. There you go. No one had the outside, and that just, man, just fundamental breakdowns that just, you know, there's just no, there's just no excuse for really. Like, there's just no excuse for that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's the same stuff that was happening last year too. Whenever they gave mm-hmm. all those big touchdown runs on outside zone plays, because Tarrell Adams and Zach Cunningham, you know, were awful. You know, and so it, it's just like the continuation of the same thing. You know, different over players, over different again. coaching staff. <laughs> yeah. What can you do? And that makes it even worse too, where it's, it's like, yeah, it's different players. Different. Co- yeah. I didn't even think about that either. <laughs> different players. That, that's different what starts coaches. you down that. Yeah. That's what starts you down that, that path of a fan that, that I'll never, that I'll never be, which is like, Oh, woe is me. It's because we're Houston. We're cursed. Blah, blah. No, no, that, that, that's, that's the kind of thinking that gets you to that place. But I mean, you know, they legit change the coaching staff change the scheme, change the players, and it's literally the exact same thing <laughs> happening again. Yeah, it really is outrageous and unbelievable. And, like, we knew it was going to be bad going this year. And, like, like the previous weeks didn't really kind of, like, 
I don't know, upset me at all. Like I'm not upset at all right now. It's not the right word, but just like I was, Same. I was indignant today. Like it's this, it's the end of the first quarter, and they're down by three possessions, and you're like, I don't even know why I'm watching this. Like I don't know why I'm yes. here right now. Like it's a beautiful day. I don't know why I'm doing this, and, and I watch it, and I eat my. I eat, I you know, I eat my poop. I sit there and I eat it, and I, we talk about it afterwards. <laughs> and, and you love it; it's and, great. And some, yeah, and like I like it enough for what it for what it does, you know. But yeah. uh, this and was then, a hard and then, one. I think, and then for tomorrow, everybody. Cully will tell you that it was a that it was a prime steak. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to read uh, Rivers McCown's Twitter post of the Cully press conference here in a second too. Um, so we had a question. We had a question for you from this defense before we kind of talk about more of the listener questions, some of the bigger stuff, which defenders from the 2021 Texans start for the 2022 Texans? Mm, oh man, that's a really good question. Let's see. I'm trying to think because Reed's a free agent. Amanda, who's um, a free agent. Amanda, who's a free agent. Kirksey, Gregor uh, Hill are free agents. Malik Collins is on a one-year deal, right? Yeah. Terrence Mitchell's on one-year deal. Uh, Vernon uh-huh. Hargraves is. You see where this is going. Cunningham is not likely to be here next year, and he's not even a starter anyway right now. Yeah, Desmond King's a one-year contract. Jaleel Johnson's a one-year contract. <laughs> Boy, that is Jacob a, Martin's a free agent a, after this year. That is a frighteningly good question. Demarcus Walker <laughs> is a one-year contract. Demarcus Walker's playing defensive tackle right now, which is insane to me. He weighs like 265 pounds. Jordan Jenkins is a one-year contract. Uh, it, is there is there an answer? Like it's not gonna be Lonnie Johnson, I wouldn't think. Um Eric Murray's not a starter, otherwise we could say Eric Murray. <laughs> yeah, and he should be gone after next year too, because they can finally cut him. Yeah, but he's still gotta play next year, right? Like his his I, I don't know, I don't know what the cap impact is on him, but he's not playing at all now, hardly except when they mentioned Lonnie. Yeah. I I mean I think what the only two punch that is. The only answer probably is Jonathan Greenard because, like, I think Blacklock's shown some juice out oh, there. Right, Duh. but Blacklock hasn't really shown himself as a like a sure starter at all. Like he's no, a he rotational defensive himself. tackle. Yeah, and, and, and you know uh, what's going to happen with Greenard is that like even if he does get really good, he'll be he'll be you know signing his huge free agent pass rusher deal right when the Texans are oh, maybe yeah. on the cusp of starting to get good again, and they'll have to let him go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Grenard's at seven sacks now. He had an inside spin move against the right tackle for his sack after the Texans were down 38-0. And it's the same spin move that Malik Collins has been using this year with success. And I like to think that the culture of you know the teammates talking after the practice and working on their craft together led to Malik Collins teaching you know, Jonathan Grenard the inside spin that got him sack number seven. But yeah, like Grenard's a free agent in two years. I think Grenard's like Whitney Merciless, you know? Like you wouldn't be the third or fourth best player in a front seven who will produce if he has good players around him. But it, I mean, it really is kind of crazy that him and Greiger Hill are the best front seven players they have right now. And I think like Malik Collins is right below them as probably the third. Yeah, but penalties are the biggest problem for sure, yes. though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Lord. Davis Mills is second of all rookies in completion percentage. <sighs> so Man. let's go to some of like, the bigger macro stuff because the Texans do enter the trade deadline this Tuesday, um, November 2nd. So earlier this week, the Texans moved Mark Ingram to New Orleans for a 2024 seventh round pick. And I still can't stop laughing at like the idea yes. of trading, <laughs> of, like, of like getting a 2024 seventh round pick. It's like the only trade that makes me laugh this much is whenever the Denver Broncos traded for Austin Calitro. 
And like he was, <laughs> and like I can't remember who they traded for Austin Calicho. I told myself I was to look this up before the show. Uh, but it's the only trade that I think is as inconsequential as this. And I joked earlier this week, like I can't wait to see which general manager gets to put that 2024 seventh-round pick to use. Yeah, this is the classic double-edged sword of having amazing culture. You bring in players like Mark Ingram to establish this amazing culture that's had such a hugely positive impact on the Texans. But part of that culture is that you go to him and say, hey, bro, um, do you want to be traded? Because if you do, we'll let you go. Uh, because we're so great with culture, we want to give you the opportunity because we respect you. Thanks for all you did here. But the price of this culture is a seventh round pick in, in 2024. So, you know, <laughs> the culture, the culture giveth and the culture taketh away. Yeah. Uh, the, the tray I was mentioning was it was Christian Covington for Austin Calitro. And it was before Austin Calitro even played a snap <laughs> and already before Classic Christian trade. Covington even played for a snap. And, uh, and now Covington of course is on the, one of the, key contributors to the worst run defense in football for the Los Angeles Chargers. But yeah, the the trade was was hysterical. And you know, this is kind of one of the things too, one of the problems with the Texans this year, by their decision to sign so many veteran free agents, it was like, well, if we do this, we can trade them at the trade deadline. And like Mark Ingram was good this year, I would say. Like he like obviously numbers don't match up because he's having to break tackles and create yards after contact, but he's the only running back on the Texans roster who could do so. And like you look at one of the pluses for the Texans, like horde of veteran players they signed, and they're only able to get 2024 seventh round pick for Mark Ingram. And it kind of goes back to like playing these guys out of position where by putting these guys where they put them and being in such a like bad environment also, why would a team trade anything for these guys after the film they put out there? Nobody's going to trade pick for Desmond King after watching him flounder at an outside cornerback. I couldn't see a team, you know, making a trade for Terrence Mitchell after he's had problems playing in like a very, you know, easy defense to play for for a corner in this cover two, cover three defense. And like uh-huh. the list kind of goes on also where it's like, why would you give up anything for these guys that have been bad in a bad situation? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have no idea. And again, that goes back to that long-term strategy that we've been kind of sold on by this team that just, you know, when we sit here and we just talk about it on a podcast, we know is not going to work <laughs> and yet and yet here it comes so i, I just yeah the, the ingram the ingram trade is I, I had to get a laugh out of that because i remember talking to rivers on twitter about it a little bit and i said to him like all right so most likely is a six or a seven but depending on the desperation of the saints maybe they just get stupid and they give us a five you know who knows like as an absolute ceiling like i i knew it was a lunatic thing to say but when I saw the seventh in the in twenty twenty four, I was just I just had to shake my head. <laughs> I just I, and, and yeah, I, there, and there's just so many other guys that is is there even is there a single untouchable player on this like on this team right now? Because like, let me ask you this: Jonathan Grenard, he's shown a lot of promise. He's young, but he is a free agent in two years. When again, best case scenario, he plays great and gets himself a big contract. So. If you know they, if someone offered a, a mid-round draft pick for Grenard, would you take it? Because what are you going to do with him in two years anyway, when this team is still bad? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would keep him for sure. Um, I want to tell you my Mark Ingram story real fast. I went to publish the article whenever the Texans found the guy's seventh-round pick, and like by default, my brain went Texans to receive 2022 uh, round seven pick for Mark Ingram, and I was, and then something in my brain told me in the deep most inner parts of my body to go and double check what they got for him. 
And I saw yeah. it was 2024. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I mean, <laughs> what are we even doing here, you know? Yeah, who knows where any of us will be in 2024 or the way the world is going right now. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, entropy's gone way too far. But with Grin R, like, I wouldn't trade him at all. But, like, maybe you could get a fifth-round pick for a Menahu for a team who needs interior pass rush help and knows how to use them. Maybe you can get a fifth-round pick for Terrence Mitchell for a team who needs cornerback help. Like, really, like, the only two guys they could get any sort of draft capital for would be Brandon Cooks. But it's like, if you don't have Brandon Cooks, there's the entirety of not just your passing offense, but your entire offense. And I do think if you trade Cooks, like, just forfeit the rest of the season. Like, don't even suit up at all. But, like, I'd still trade Cooks for a second-round pick or a third-round pick at the moment. Um, depending on what the offers are. Yeah, I mean, even if it was a third and that was the best you could get, I think I would still do it, you know? And then, or you trade Justin Reed, and like, are you deciding, is Justin Reed part of our long-term plans? Because right now he's playing all place at strong safety when he's a much better free safety, but because Lion Johnson Jr. has to play and they don't trust him at strong safety, he's playing that spot. And like, and if he is part of your long-term plans, are you going to give like a fringe top 10 safety near $12 million a year? Like, I don't know. And, like, it also for a team that's going to be bad for probably the next two or three seasons, is it worth giving him that contract? And, like, would Reed even want to resign here as well, too? Right, exactly. I, I, Reed, to me, seems like a classic case of a guy who is, is he's in that sort of middle class of safeties who's going to want to be paid in the, like, second tier of, of safety, you know, uh, contracts because he showed some flashes as a rookie. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, there, there's no way to, I, I don't think unless, unless Reed just starts balling out like crazy the rest of the season, there's no way that you're going to keep him and not, and not overpay for what he actually is worth. I think a lot of people are blinded by the fact that he he's did a show tech, a lot of, yeah. a lot of potential and he's, you know, and he's a very, he's a great interview. Like he's, a, he's actually fun to watch an interview. He, he gives some, pretty candid answer he seems like a really super intelligent guy like i like him a lot but the the play just has never really gotten to where it was when he showed those early flashes mm-hmm. yeah and like i mean i've liked reed since he was drafted you know because i wrote all those articles after brian Gaines draft class and like i thought reed for sure would be a starter on this defense and he was his rookie year and i and like i do think he can be an impact safety and he was awesome back when the texans were playing cover two where he had those three turnovers he forced in two weeks you know but he's just playing yeah. out position out, playing as the robber role in a cover three defense. And so yeah, I like him more for like a too high team. Yeah, I, I don't I don't understand why you are in effect punishing your best safety for the sins of your, you know, the, your guy that you for some reason have to force <laughs> the pigeonhole into a position. Like how how does how does Reed get moved and they don't instead get someone else to play the strong safety role? Yeah. I don't I don't understand that at all. Like that that just seems completely backwards to me unless, you know, there's like uh maybe they said, Hey, we're going to give Lonnie X amount of games. And this is the game I think where he got, he got pulled at some point and Eric Murray got some snaps. So maybe after the, after this next week, when they come back from the buy, they'll have switched, you know, read back to free and have somebody else playing the strong just yeah. to see, you know, like I, I could at least see that. So then I could at least see, okay, they had a plan. They wanted to see, they didn't want to give Lonnie just one game there. They, Cause he, you know, he, he, I'm not going to say he has a nose for the ball, but he keeps getting turnovers. So you at least have to, I, I guess, give him some credit for being in the right place at the right time. But he doesn't do anything yeah. else well. Yeah, I mean, I think the second turnover was a good one for Lonnie. Where like he's a guy who can only do things in front of him. You know what I mean? So like, if guys right, get behind yeah. him, he can't. He doesn't really have a feel for it all. But he he's like not he, cerebral safety. Yeah, and like he came down on that throw, and the throw was a little bit too far inside. He picked it off. But the Josh Allen one, like I have no idea who Allen was throwing to on that one. 
And the one right. last week to Kyler Murray, he just he, like he thought the guy was gonna run the seam and he stopped and he overthrew it. And like two of those are right to him, you know. So I I don't know. Like I don't I didn't like Johnson Jr. out of college. I haven't liked him since. And it's also funny too that this scheme is the perfect scheme for Johnson Jr. to play cornerback in. And said he's just kind of wasting away at safety too. Um, but like looking at the trade deadline, I think Cooks and Reed are the only guys you can get any real value for. I think everybody else is gonna be Amanahu for a fifth or. Malik Collins for a fifth, or Camu Gregor Hill for a 2023 seventh. You know, it's gonna be those sort of deals that they make those deals, and it's like that's what your payoff was for delaying the rebuild, not signing young talent, was to get a bunch of like sixth and seventh round picks. You know, do you not feel like there might be a defensive coordinator out there somewhere who will say, "Hey, let's trade for Cunningham because I know he's bad in Houston." But clearly, he needs a change of scenery, and I can coach him up to do this. We've seen the flashes from him, you know, in in pieces of his time in Houston. Uh, I know he has that big contract that he's not playing up to, but I feel like he's the type of young player that another coach would go and like, you know, try to talk their front office into, hey, I, I could actually do something with this guy. Um, of all the guys they have, I think probably that's a really good question. The thing is, like, King was moved for a fourth-round pick last year at Tennessee, and he was bad there. And he was playing mostly in the slot, but he was playing mostly man coverage for Tennessee in their scheme last year. Um, maybe Omenahu, just because he's a pretty good interior pass rusher, and, like, every team can use interior pass rushers, you know? Just because if you move the pocket, you can create openings there in the exterior. And, like, you know, he's bad in the run game also. But I think maybe those two... I wouldn't say King at all, but I think probably Omenahu would probably be the most likely guy. Well, the guy that I was asking specifically about with that though was was Cunningham. Like, oh he, my bad. He, no, no, no. That's okay. That 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 kind of was my my follow up, which is: is there anyone else that you feel like a you know the a coach somewhere else might want to take to roll the dice on? But Cunningham seems like one of those guys to me where he does have a pretty big contract, but he's he's young and he has shown to be a a, a decent player at times. It's just one of those things where I feel like there's someone else out there who will say, well, he's in a situation he doesn't like. There's been a, there was a disciplinary issue in the preseason. You know, he's basically he's basically for a while was only playing first and he could mm-hmm. stay on the field on third down. And now he can barely get any snaps at all. I feel like he's one of those guys that someone's going to say, well, he's just not being used the right way. And maybe they, they make a move for him. Yeah, I hope. So this, this is going to make you sick, right? So they okay. trade Cunningham right now as a cap at five point seven million dollars because they restructured him. OK, so next year. So if they trade him, they take on twelve million dollars of dead money right now because they have to pay all of his bonus. And then, neg- so they lose $12 million against the, they pay $18 million in debt money, my Ugh. mistake, and they lose $12 million against the cap. They trade them this year. Next year, they pay $12 million in debt money, and they only save $1.9 million if they were to cut or release him. And his cap hit next year is $14.7 million for a backup linebacker who can't play third down. That's what they're looking yeah. at at the moment. So they're pretty much probably going to maybe move him and and pay that cap hit and then only save you know two million dollars in cap space because you can't pay fourteen million dollars for a backup linebacker. I think the one team who can maybe be interested in Cunningham may be the Chargers because they have an awful run defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe like he can be on the backside chasing tackle more, but it's still a cover four and they, they play a lot of cover four, which puts a lot of stress on the linebackers make plays in the flat, which hurts that. And they just don't have a lot of defensive talent either. So then like Cunningham's kind of the same spot too. But I think like there's a stacked enough front seven they could, and uh, and then like if you trade for the guy, all the bonus money's paid off. So then that way, if you didn't want to pay him, you know, um, his base salary ten million dollars next year, you can outright cut him. You know, and like mm-hmm. it's just kind of on the Texans side, they're gonna 
take on, you know, pay $18 million in dead cap for a, you know, fourth round or fifth round pick or whatever else, you know? Right. Yeah. So <laughs> he's not likely to be gone this year, but I just, I just, I just had hopes. Yeah. I would, I hope so too. And like, I didn't like the contract when it happened. I was the one who always talked about how Cunningham's good because of this reason alone. And he chases and tackle on the backside. And the Texans made this deal because they thought there was another level to his game. And last year, McKinney went hurt there, and and Reader was let go or re, or signed with Cincinnati for agency. That was the time to do it. And he never did it, and he still hasn't. Also, I don't know. Yeah. It's been it's probably it's one of like the all time dumb Bill O'Brien decisions, along with you know, um, you going with him instead of DJ Reader, going along with the Hopkins trade and the Clowney trade and the Tunsil trade and everything else. Yeah. Oh my God, it's appropriate that we're talking about this on Halloween. Yes. <laughs> And I mean, watching, I, like, I'm sure that as usual, we'll have like just a couple of minutes, maybe if we have time for uh, movie stuff at the end, like we usually do when we get together. But one of the questions I was going to ask was, you know, what, what, what horror film are you going to watch for, for Halloween? And I, I feel like I've already been through that today, so I don't even <laughs> have to bother. Yeah, this is like, bo- this is like body dysmorphia, body gore today, watching the <laughs> yes. Texans Rams game. Yeah, I think so. We're at you know an hour eleven here. I'm asking you. We're gonna talk about Deshaun Watson. We can talk about some Halloween movies, and then I'll just take all these listener questions and just do a mailbox later in the week. Um, Sounds good. And knock out like a, a, a schizophrenic darkroom rambling episode after I watch <laughs> the coach's film earlier this week. So this was kind of the thing that the 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 media narrative that was fabricated was that the Texans have a deadline for Deshaun Watson. It's coming up. And that's what we were told over and over again, when in reality, there's no deadline for Watson. Watson's under contract, you know, for the next three seasons. The Texans don't have to move him. They don't have to do anything with him at all. They can hold on to him and wait. And then from there, it turned into the Texans and Dolphins could have a trade made by the end of this week to the Carolina Panthers have logged on and entered the chat. So the Carolina Panthers have logged off and exited the chat and Christian McCaffrey's available, and now he's not available. And now the Texans wouldn't want Christian McCaffrey. Oh, and Christian so McCaffrey. Now, with, <laughs> which would be like a David Johnson level thing to do to turn Watson to McCaffrey, even though McCaffrey's like, you know, a top five running back when he's healthy, but who knows how long he's going to be healthy forever again mm-hmm. um, after missing back to back seasons for extended periods of time. But so this Tuesday at the trade deadline, do you think the Texans are going to trade Deshaun Watson? And what do you want the Texans to do with Deshaun Watson? Um, I'll, I'll start with the second question first. I, I want to do with Deshaun Watson what I've said from the very beginning, and I think a lot of us have, which is, you know, there's no reason to trade him until you know where your draft picks are going to be slotted. Uh, it's just the, because to me, like all this danger about, oh, well, but, you know, if he gets indicted or the criminal charges, this, this, that, and the other, I just, I just have a very hard time believing based on what I've heard so far uh, on, on what's happened with these cases that, that anything criminal is going to actually put him, you know, it, it, to have any jail time or anything like that. The settlements, I feel like it, it's just a matter of time that that was going to happen. So I'm not fearful of, hey, we need to make a move now because you may not be able to get anything for him because, you know, he's he's going to be put in jail or suspended for a year or whatever. I, I have no fear of that. I think, I think this is another one of these things where uh, a pro athlete has misbehaved he's got great lawyers or he pays great lawyers to do mm-hmm. their thing. He's got a lot of money and he'll, he'll get out of that. So I do feel like he's going to play. He's not, you know, I, I, I'm just not fearful of that part. So with that in mind, I see no reason at all to, to trade him now, unless you just get some 
insane package that's even above what they what their asking price is, which is not going to happen, yeah. especially when you have a limited set of suitors, because we still have not one time heard anything about the fact that Deshaun Watson is willing to go to anyone but Miami. Now, granted, we haven't heard still to this day, we haven't heard Deshaun Watson even say that he wants to be traded. So uh, we really have all, all we really know is that, you know, clearly he does want to be traded. But as far as like the ins and outs of his trade, his no trade clause, who he's willing to go to, we really have no idea. So it's just reports. Oh, Deshaun is only is only allowing Miami or he might allow Denver, according to Kareem Jackson, or he might allow Claire Carolina. We have really no idea on that end. So yeah. with Deshaun, what, what I think they should do is hang on to him until they know the draft slots. And um, I, I think they are. I do not think they're going to trade him before Tuesday. I feel like Casario is is at least going to have enough pull to wait. And from all again, we don't know the structure there. But from everything that we've read, it's apparently in Casario's hands. McNair said it himself. It's in Casario's hands. And I just don't think he's dumb enough to pull the trigger. But my fear, of course, is that this dumb, dumb front office of Easterby and McNair are place more Mm. value in moving on from this than they do in the actual value coming back. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Yeah, I I, I got roped in. I said I thought they would trade Watson. Now that it hasn't happened, I mean, I'm kind of you know leering. No, the newest report today that came out was that the Texans are fully prepared not to trade Watson too. So I mean, I don't know. It's all just kind of like sifting through somebody else's turn and try and find like the, the scraps no. of corn, you know. I mean, I don't blame you at all. Last week, I actually was there too. You know, my thought was, well, again, th- these guys, these guys are more worried about the discomfort of it all than they are about the compensation. Yeah. And I still feel that way. So it's it's a it's a huge wild card. I just feel like at the end of the day, Casario will be able to calm them down and say, hey, we've weathered this, we've weathered the storm so far. Plus, there's a lot more heat on Deshaun than anything else right now because of all his allegations. It's not really so much, you know, when, when the allegations happened, we instantly had to all forget about the fact that up to that point, the Texans had totally botched the relationship with Watson. Yeah. So now it's more on Watson. It's it's an issue with him and all the allegations and we've gone this far we might as well just keep going with it and i promise you you know cal and jack it'll mean it'll mean good things when we get to the off season so mm. uh i just i feel like some way somehow that's gonna win out but i that, that's the same time will i be surprised at all if they trade him before tuesday not in the slightest yeah yeah that's uh, that's a good way to summarize it and so like for me what i want to see i agree i don't want to see him be traded at all because like you yeah. don't trade Watson for mid round picks, you can't do that. And they made the trade to Miami next year. You get the 49ers first round pick. The Niners right now are three and four. They still have a talented team. You know, I know they've had some problems with Garoppolo this year, and Trey Lance has been horrid. You know, yeah. I'm like I I I've, I've so like I've watched Trey Lance play, and I was excited watching. I thought I could become like an RG three sort of player that offense. There's a key part of the run game that opens the deep passing game. He's an awful runner. He's, I mean, like he's just a, he's just a terrible, you know, runner with the ball. So I mean, who knows how those two teams, you know, play out with the Niners' record this year? But maybe they finish eight and eight, or maybe they finish ten and six. Who knows? But there's a very, mm-hmm. very chance that they finish, you know, um, like four and eleven this year, and it's a top ten pick, or they finish, you know, six and six and eleven, and it's a top ten pick at this point. And so you have to know what your draft picks are worth for Watson, and even if you only get two you know, first round picks, but one of those picks is a top five or a top 10 pick, 
That's what you have to get. And if you want to turn that into more draft picks by trading down, you could do you very easily do that too if it comes down to in the draft where you don't like who you have and that spot and that spot and everything else. But yeah, I'm completely on board for holding Watson, not trading him by Tuesday, not rushing because the NFL investigation process is not going to be solved by next year. And then also there's no trade clause. I think Watson just really wants to play football at this point too. And he thought, if I force a trade, they're going to move me. They're going to buckle down. I'm going to win this one. They're going to push me out. I'm going to go where I want to go. And that has yeah. not happened all whatsoever. And so now if you're looking at he missed the entire year of football and he really wants to play football, I think he's going to open the trade door to say, yeah, I'll go yes. to the Giants. And the Giants give you their first-round pick and the Browns' first-round pick. And now you have two top 10 picks. And now you know, toss in um, you know, a young defensive player or two. And now you have a trade. You know, And so I think it opens the door to more teams the longer they hold out. Yeah, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about the Watson thing if we could. Yeah. I, I, I just the thing that people aren't that I think is just going untalked about here is is also the thirst for quarterbacks is never higher than it is during the draft during the mm-hmm. draft. It's never higher. Like people like teams do crazy stuff, like extra picks get thrown around. They do what it takes to throw in for their franchise quarterback. The thirst is never going to be bigger. The the NFL trading deadline is not like the NBA or baseball where you can bring in a player and that player immediately can make this team go from, you know, good to great or whatever. It's 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 not the same. Now, do I think Watson could come in and do better than Tua like in his first week? Yeah, maybe he could. But it's it, you know, there's much more of a system reliance, you know, you have to learn and and you know, get chemistry with your players much more so than in the in, than in the NBA and mm-hmm. and, the, and Major League Baseball. So the value of this trade deadline to take a team from one place and there's something going to be great is just it's just a you know, that's just not that doesn't happen in the NFL. Exactly. So why now? Like wait until some of these, you know, contracts expire. There's other teams who are going to, you know, these there are other teams like, say, the Giants who are going to be closer to knowing whether or not they think Daniel Jones is the guy. And, and, and it's exactly like you said, I feel like this whole thing has been plugging along because Deshaun thought he could force his way out and get everything he wants. And while I was on Deshaun's side for a long time, up until all the allegations happened, like now I've, I'm completely on the other side. Like if they trade him to Miami before Tuesday, before the deadline, he's literally getting everything he yes. wanted out of this. <laughs> and to hell with that, man. Yeah. It's, it's like I said, the first time we talked about this after the allegations came out, you want to be traded fine, rescind your no trade clause. And I promise you, I'll make a, a good mm-hmm. faith effort to trade you. Uh, but we have to get our maximum value. But to be held hostage by the guy who wants to go to a specific city and then to actually trade into that city, uh-uh, absolutely not. Yeah. No way. And, and I, like, I think at that point, too, by next year, if you hold him, all you're doing is your Watson's no-trade clause protects him from going to the Detroit Lions. You know, like that's really all it, it kind of really should at that point. But I think he'd be more open to going to, you know, Denver or the Giants or any of these yeah. other quarterback-needed teams. And the other thing that comes along with that, too, like – like I know there's not like a clear cut quarterback, but that will always evolve in the next five weeks too. And also you just mentioned teams are gonna get hungrier for quarterbacks because let's say you're Denver and you have talent but you don't make the playoffs again and you're Miami and you rebuilt and you're still not there again. Or you're the Giants and now you fire your GM, your head coach, and Dalen Jones hasn't worked out and you're still right there again. All this is going to do is just uh, raise up the asking price. And that's not even including teams who may make the postseason this year. 
get knocked down the first or second round, be frustrated. Like, like let's say the Browns, they may say, I'm done with Baker. Let's go. We'll give three first round picks for Deshaun Watson because Baker can't do it. And we're not going to give him a big extension. <laughs> like we saw with the, with the Rams train for Matthew Stafford last off season after they got knocked down the divisional round and opens the door for all these additional teams to add into the quarterback, you know, need pool instead of kind of being at the spot now where they're halfway through and, adding him be difficult and everything else that goes along with it. So I think it just opens the door for them getting a better package if they held on to him, even aside from like the personal feelings of like, yeah, I kind of want to make him like have to wait around and miss a whole year for making the decision that he made too. Yeah. He's the one who was always talking about how he wants to be legendary. Well, he's lost a season of, of, you know, his chance to make himself legendary by sitting around and that I feel like puts the pressure back on Deshaun. But however, you know, you, you can't you can't just have a guy making maybe next year you can have a guy making thirty five million uh, uh, you know as part of your cap because you're not going to be good again but that obviously is not is not sustainable if the Texans are going to be serious about getting back into contention so he I just think at the end of the day Watson just needs to be an adult about this and you know you want to be traded fine you got to play ball um, but of course this is all on whoever negotiated the contracts and and this like I, I wish I don't know if we if we could maybe uh, use our resources to get like a guy like Andrew Brandt or someone who knows NFL contracts uh, for a couple of minutes on one of these shows, because I, I tweeted this a couple of weeks ago and I just, it just blows my mind. Like how is there something in the NFLPA that prevents this? And I know you don't know the answer to this, but just spitballing, spitballing out loud as someone who actually works with a lot of contracts, how hard is it to put into the contract the above reference trade clause is null and void if the player demands a trade? Yeah. Or, or, you know, if, if, uh, or another one, this, this stuff that he did in the, you know, with the, with the, you know, the massage therapist conduct that embarrasses the team, Mm -hmm. you know, can, can I, I, like how, how is there not a way to. player faces suspension, your contract is, is able to be avoided by the team. Yeah. Rescinded because they've embarrassed the franchise. I'm sure that, I'm sure that part is, is. Because so much of that stuff has happened in the NFL, I'm yeah, sure that part is probably covered too. by the NFLPA. Yeah, and it's subjective too. But I think you like I think you probably work a contract where the player suspended. You know, the team was able to you get a release out of the contract too. You know. Yeah, but but for me, the bigger issue when talking about contract language is, is the no trade clause part. Like, yeah, I, well, I, you, I think you, that was it, the Easterby thing also. I mean, everything. Yeah, I've, well, I've that, heard that's what was that, reported. Yeah, that Easterby handled the Watson negotiation. Easterby handling a lot of the contract renegotiations this past offseason. Easterby, you know, helped work out these contracts, assign Eric Murray and the contract he got, you know, and these sorts of things too. And yeah. so I guess you can kind of point to him, I, I would think, for a lot of it because O'Brien couldn't do both roles at once. He couldn't be the GM and the head coach. And so he led on to Easterby to make a lot of these decisions instead of an actual football personnel in the building. Yeah, I just, I just really don't understand. It's, 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 less, it's, it's, a, it's a short paragraph. Should the player withhold services or demand a trade or his player representative demand a trade, the above reference no trade clause is null and void. Yeah. Like, how, how hard is that? Yeah, I think it's a good idea, too. And I wonder how teams are going to like move forward after seeing this Watson thing, too, with how yeah, it played out also. And, and again, I caveat all the stuff I just said with, I have no idea with you know, the NFLPA and the, and, the collect, the, uh, and the CBA. Maybe those things are not allowed to be in a contract to fight against those things. But it sure seems likely that you could at least put something like that in there for 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 a no trade clause yeah it's just very very frustrating that it seems like a sentence or two could have protected you from this yeah that makes sense and uh i guess the last thing i'll bring about this trade too just kind of further hammering home the point about what they can get for watson next year 
Last year, the Niners traded two first-round picks. A They traded two first-round picks to Miami, and they also traded a third-round pick as well too, to move up from 12 to 3 to move up nine spots. They gave, gave up two first-round picks and a third-round pick to draft a guy with no idea if he's going to be good or not. You know, mm-hmm. and that's two first round picks for a guy. No idea. You have no idea if it's going to be good or not. Lance has not been good yet. Uh, yep. Watson is a top five franchise quarterback, hands down. Yeah. And like, I know the allegations are hanging over it. I completely understand that. But we don't know if he's going to be suspended. And two, we don't know when he's going to be suspended, even if he is, you know? And so right. I don't th- and like, also, you have Watson or contract for the next three years if you lose him for a month or eight games. I don't think it's really the end of the world. And as we've seen with sports forever, and if you end up performing and you play well, past sins are usually forgiven. And we saw Always. Michael Vick, who signed a $100 million contract after his dogfighting stuff. We're seeing a Atari kill right now. We kind of saw it with Adrian Peterson, even though he was so old that it didn't matter, but he still found work across the league too, where it just yeah. it really hasn't tanked anybody's career at all. Nope. The the only guy I can think of that hasn't was uh was Ray Rice. Yeah, like, and that, that was on video and very but he's like, the only one. Yeah. And that was also you know? during the NFL too when they were really hankering down on player contact. And right, the last few timing. years it's been a lot, you know, less. It's been a lot more like they don't they're a lot like less to suspend somebody right away like they were eleven years ago. But yeah, I think he's the only one. And Kareem Hunt did the same thing. Joe Mixon mm-hmm. did something similar, and both those guys from the league and their fan bases don't really think about that. Yeah. And they're watching who score the, touchdowns too. Who was the defensive end for the 49ers that uh, I think they wanted to? They said they wanted to draft instead of Watt, but then he came, but then he got picked up by the Niners. I can't remember. He was he was so good for several years. And oh then, like, had, yeah, um, Alden Smith, and he's Alden pl- Smith. and he played for the Cowboys last year, right. and then the Seahawks signed him this offseason. And they ended up releasing him because he was having some personal problems to be able to play yeah. football. But he got, but yeah. but he got a shot. Mm-hmm. And he got like five or six and different shots after that too. Same with the defensive end guy for the Cowboys that like beat up his girlfriend or yeah. something. And it ended up going to UFC and then he came back too. Yeah, Greg Hardy. Greg Hardy, there you go. And Randy Gregory was suspended for weed over and over again. He's for Dallas right now and he's playing. Josh Gordon? Yeah. And I guess like weed's a little bit different than this other stuff. but Weed is different. He's been be. suspended multiple times, couldn't stay on the field. He's back out there now, and he's been, you know, really good for Dallas this year. Yeah, but yeah, and, and, you know, and the fan base doesn't really care whether these guys are playing great. And like, as you know, I guess it's a yeah. sad thing to say, but if Watson goes somewhere else, is suspended for a month, pays you know X amount of dollars out, and he's back on the field and he's a top ten quarterback, I don't think the fans of the New York Giants are going to care all that much. No fans of any fan base would. Yeah, and and, and on top of all what you what we all just discussed about what we just discussed about. Not only is he a top five franchise quarterback, but I, I always feel like it's important to note that he had just had his best season too. And like you legitimately could see him still being able to improve with, you know, maybe a team that actually had a competent running game or better offensive coaching. Like I, I think you can make a legitimate argument that it's not it's not crazy to say that Watson potentially could become the best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. I, I really mean, I believe that po- because yeah. he was still improving. Yeah, I think it's possible too. And uh, and also like the fact that his mobility isn't uh, the sole aspect of his game. He's shown the ability to play right. within the structures of an offense. Uh, yeah, he doesn't really have bad mobility. Yeah, <laughs> and he doesn't really have the like the same like fundamental issues that you see in Mahomes now, where he's having to do everything on a bad team too. Um, mm-hmm. And the second thing I want to bring up, I want to talk about the New York Giants because I wrote about this before, like you know, a month ago, because the Giants have the Bears first round pick. 
The Giants are two and five. They're probably going to fire Joe Judge and Gettleman after this year, after it being you know year three or year four of the Gettleman era. And the Chicago Bears lost today, and they trade for Justin Fields, so the Giants have their first round pick. And the Bears are three and five. They have a great defense, but I don't think the Bears are very good. Like I think the Bears may win six games this year. They're not like the Niners, where you could expect kind of like a wider range of outcomes. And so, like I do think the Giants are still my favorite spot for Watson because you could get a top five pick and a top and a fringe top ten pick potentially. And like for that that draft class, you'll have three three you'll have two top five picks and three top ten picks this year after you trade Watson, and then you also have the thirty third pick and everything else from there. Like that is something that can springboard a good football team in two or three years if you hit on those picks, you know. And so, like I do think the Giants are the team that best offers the best value, I think, for Watson. And also, it goes back to everything else, too. I think Watson would accept a trade to the Giants after a year, right. like, sitting around waiting, too, you know? I agree. I was going to say, and, and then the other thing that makes the Giants a good selection is that of all the non-Miami teams that are real realistic potential suitors for Watson who would have the draft capital, the Giants are also the only one that I feel like he... It would be in that that would be in the next category of teams that he would allow a trade to because yeah. of the market. And they have you know, good, he clearly they have good like I love I love Deshaun, but clearly he is very you know concerned with his brand and um and you know market. Uh, that, that, yeah that's that's a big thing for him. He he had expressed apparently was maybe or maybe not interested in going to the Jets. So, yeah, they were a terrible franchise, but we again we have no idea because the, Deshaun won't say it himself. So, uh, but yeah, I agree. I think the Giants have the potential to actually have the draft capital to do it. And they're one of the, you know, like you mentioned Cleveland or some of these other teams, like these other teams, there's no way that Deshaun's ever going to accept the trade. Yeah. To. Uh, but the giants, I, I feel like is a, is a realistic one that if he sat down and said, okay, let's add five more teams to the mix or three more teams to the mix, mm-hmm. you know, Denver, the giants, blah, blah, blah. But the giants might be the top one. Yeah. Yeah. And like the giants are kind of like set fairly well too, I think in a way, you know, like their offense has been bad this year because they have bad offensive coordinator. But like there's talent there with Galladay, with Kadarius Tony, who can you know break anybody's ankles. I think the offensive line is kind of like Houston, like it is like Houston's, where they've invested a lot into it, but they haven't gotten a lot of results out of it. But I still like some of the players along there, and it does suck that like Nick Gates broke his leg and all that too. Um, and they have Saquon if he's ever healthy again, but Booker's been pretty good at running back too. And the defense has yeah. a lot of talent, and it's been like at least average in years before. And like, is that and with Watson too, the offensive line isn't that important, you know, as we've kind of seen over the years, despite the Larry Tunsil trade. And so like, I think like a team with Watson, the Giants playing in a bad division, you know, it opens the door for them to be good, you know, pretty quickly and everything else that goes along with it too. You know, it's not talentless also. It's not like Watson accepts a trade there and they have nothing at all whatsoever. Yep. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it's the, it's the best non uh, Miami destination for Deshaun if you were to look at it objectively. Yeah, I really hope he doesn't go to Miami, especially like tra- yeah. doing the Tunsil trade and completely ruining what they <laughs> like this team for the next two or three years. Not even thinking yeah. about the long term consequences and not being able to draft good players that you can give a second contract to. And then for you to go around and give them Watson on top of that, it just yeah, it no. makes me. And also get players that they took with your picks back in the Watson trade makes me just sick. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm legit, I'm not a petty guy, but man, <laughs> to, to give Watson everything he wants yeah. at the end of this, I just very, I'm just very against that, especially if it doesn't serve the, now, now, okay, if he rescinded his trade clause completely 
And then it turns out that Miami still gave the best offer. That's fine. Then I can't complain. Mm -hmm. You know, they did whatever they could. They did the thing that was best for the team. But if it ends up that this like hostage situation that Watson's pulled off leads to him getting to the Miami Dolphins, uh, I'm I'm not okay with that. Yeah, you know, not it's by like, the player. It's like and the Harden trade. It's like the Harden trade. Right. Yeah. Again. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But I, it's kind of worse though because Harden at least was like pretty upfront about it, just showing up fat and barely taking part in anything. <laughs> and all Deshaun did the entire time was tweet rap lyrics and let everyone else speak for him, which yeah. really. Like I love, I really do. I loved the Watson era when it was good, but man, the way he's handled this, I'm just not a fan. I'm just not a fan of it. Yeah, oh, like this five weeks and it was good. You know, his rookie year. I mean, with me and Watson, it was always just like <laughs> there was a different reality out there where they were a Super Bowl contender, but they botched his rookie contract. They botched his the second team around Watson, you know, and the tensile trade goes along with that too. Um, but yeah, it's funny that like I'm riled up. I I think I could talk for another four hours now after bringing up you know, this Watson trade, talking about more of the macro stuff for the team, which I think is far and away more interesting than like the day to day, like you know, yeah. mock of, of these like 38 point blowout losses that became yeah, because none of this actually matters. Loss. Yeah, blowout loss today. Um, right. So I don't know. So I guess you want to talk about. So the plan is that I'll do, like I mentioned, we'll do a, a listener thing later in the week. But uh, what what horror movies did you watch this go around? I know you're not a big, big horror movie guy, but did you watch anything spooky this time around? Yeah, it's not really my genre. Um, I did watch the uh, new uh, the new Paranormal Activity movie just because I kind of like the found footage genre. I'm not saying that they're good <laughs> because horror is never really a genre where I'm just like, oh, I've heard this is an excellent film. I'm going to watch it as a as a film as a lover of film. You know, for horror, for me, it's just like you know, like I just entertain me for 90 minutes don't make it too long get on get in get out and i and i do the 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 found footage horror genre is so so overplayed just just like with any other movie genre you know quentin tarantino made pulp fiction and there was a million quentin tarantino style pulp fiction movies after that you know blair witch project perfected the found footage and then we've got years and years and years of found footage so i watched the next of kin uh the paranormal activity next of kin uh movie and then tonight um i've got I'm 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 thinking I I I might want to check out um oh man the 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 Green Knight is out there which is uh I think it's direct it's it's one of the it's it's another A24 yeah. movie and I love their stuff so that one's available to rent so I might check that out um, I'm always tempted to rewatch Mandy I'm always tempted to rewatch Hereditary two of my favorites from the genre that are from recent years mm-hmm. um so that's that's probably it and. And I kind of lose interest in horror when it's not the season. So if I don't watch it tonight or tomorrow or the next day, yeah. then I probably won't. Yeah, those are good. We watched Suspiria last night, and uh, what? And I watched Hellraiser on Friday while I was, you know, working from home. I had that on while I was uh, doing some other yes, stuff. Yes, Hellraiser. I actually those saw are that disgusting. For the first time a couple of years ago. Yeah, they're <laughs> disgusting. I mean, it was kind of fun to watch, but I've never seen a movie just as nasty as those two are. <laughs> Just all the yes. maggots and cutting maggots out of your skin and you know, s- stuff being like stretched and flayed and, you know. Yeah. Yeah, gore. Like, there's just so many subgenres of horror. Like, is it horror? Is it slasher? Is it gore? Like, just, and, you and you know, a lot of times you never know what you're going to get. Oh, I take it back. I did watch one other um, Halloween-themed, well, you know, horror film the other day. It was, uh, I watched a Netflix video about, like, the the 10 or 20 best horror films you've never heard of available yeah. on streaming. And number two on his list was a movie called Daniel Isn't Real. And okay. it's on Amazon, it's on Prime Video. 
and it wasn't great, you know, but it, I, I was entertained. Uh, notable is that one of the main characters in it is uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's son, okay. who plays basically the villain. And, uh, you know, it was an entertaining watch. There's, there's another one that I think is also, it might be a found footage movie. It's called, it's called The Afflicted, and it's also on Prime Video, and it was number one on this guy's list, so I might check that out tonight, too. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I haven't heard of those before. But yeah, we watched the Suspiria one because it's been on all those lists every year. And it's one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen because there's like a constant soundtrack in the background the entire time. Like it's also made in the 70s, so all the gore is like really up close. And like it's definitely like a puppet or like a balloon or whatever else being punctured. Uh, and that was <laughs> right. like my favorite part of it. But yeah, it's just weird. Like it's also dubbed over and it didn't translate all that well. And it kind of has that same like hereditary like Rosemary Babies thing where like there's something secret going on there but you don't know what and like like eyes wide shut as well to like the pool scene when they when Tom Cruise mm-hmm. is playing pool with that with the doctor like there's that sort of stuff in there too at the end and it was all right and then we watched the sixth sense and uh so Chris whenever the sixth sense came out do you know anybody that guessed the twist the first time seeing it before it happened yes okay because I, I was watching it and I saw it, you know, before I saw the movie like the first time I was like 10 years old or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And I hadn't seen it a few years, but watching it this time around, it's so obvious that he's dead. Like it's the most blatant thing I've ever seen. And I was like, I think if I was like 27 and saw this for the first time, I'd be like, oh yeah, like he's just dead, you know? And uh, uh-huh. it's just yep. hilarious how blatant it is like knowing what the twist is watching it again. Yeah, yeah, and then we kind of had this conversation offline, but kind of like what I was talking about a minute ago with these genres that that basically explode when one movie kicks it off, like Pulp Fiction did for that sort of genre, and like Blair Witch did for found footage. Um, it's it's um, it's kind of the same. Yeah, it's, the twist. It's kind end. of the same thing with that one. Say again. Yeah, with all the twists at, at the end, where the rest yeah, of the movie with the twist matter. endings a- after the sixth sense, it's just like okay, I can't even watch this movie. And just and sit back and enjoy it because I'm trying to figure out the damn twist because I know there's going to be a twist. That's what M. Night did. And then, of course, M. Night Shyamalan continued to try to do that in his movies, which, man, talk about a first. It, it wasn't his first movie, but it was his first major motion picture. Talk about uh, Law Diminishing Returns with that guy. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. It's there's a, never been anything close to as good as that since uh, since he made that one. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the play action pass, you know, they're like the, the San Francisco <laughs> yes. 49ers of, of video or film, I guess, is in my Shyamalan with the twist. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, in my Shyamalan is the play is, is trying to sell the play action with no running game. Yes. Yes. And then football <laughs> outsider says, well, it doesn't matter. The run game is good. The play action pass still works. And then you watch the video. You're like, really? Are you sure it does? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. And we watch Rosemary. I don't Baby. imagine play action would work for the Texans too well right now. Yeah, I would, I would, they kind of pulled their their good stats. I don't know what the play action numbers are for the Texans anymore behind their paywall, which is a bummer. Uh, and we watched Rosemary's Baby last week, and that's an all time movie. Like it's just a great movie in general. But I'm a very you know sweet husband. Instead of ha- watching with her when she was pregnant, I waited for her to have the baby to watch Rosemary's Baby. And I was like, see, see how good of a man I am. I didn't force you to watch this. Well. <laughs> You know, while well, you're afraid, you had this, you know, demon spawn in your womb instead. And uh, we watched the <laughs> yes. Omen. Wait origi- till the demon spawn is out. Yes, yes. And we watched the Omen. You know, I think a couple nights ago too, from the '70s, the original. I had seen before. Yes. I was like, you know, if our son was was the <laughs> was the Antichrist, I think I would join him. You know, we have such a sweet, beautiful <laughs> son. I love him so much. If he I was mean, spawned, I'm like, I guess I love the devil too. Then. I mean, it's family. What can you do, right? Yeah, and there's nothing more important. Family as well. 
Yeah, you don't you don't have much of a choice there. Yeah, you, you aspire for your children to do better than you did, and if yes. your child is going to you know bring about the apocalypse as Satan, you got to kind of get on board because I love you, bro, but you're not going to do anything more significant than that. That's true, and the whole role of the father <laughs> is to encourage. The role of the father is to encourage. That's right. Like you know, I th- I think the Catholic Church has had it come in all these years. You know. Yeah, I, I mean, it's... you want to try this evil thing? I, I I'm going to support you. Yeah. Support you. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> but you're going to college. Maybe we'll see. You know, we'll see. What, we'll see what it's like. Eighteen years. We got set up. And I got money going in there now, but we'll see what the landscape's like eighteen years from now. Uh, I'm sure it will be. I'm sure it'll be great. I mean, yeah. <laughs> things are things are going great in the country right now. Yes, and it can. It's like the Texans is like, is this the bottom? Probably not. And like yeah. you're always like, it can get worse. And you're like, well, I mean, I guess it could get better, but you always kind of operate that things are going to get worse until you see some signs they're going to get better. Um, yes. <laughs> but I guess on that note, that's the end of the show. Way too long again, like always. A lot of fun, like always. Um, the game-to-game stuff, not very much fun, like always, but the bigger picture stuff is fun. And especially like kind of looking at the trade deadline, which is probably the most interesting part of the Texan season for the rest of the year from here on out. But we'll have um, a dark room mailbag episode. We'll have the game the week preview for week nine, too. And I think next week we may get Mike Meltzer on the show to talk about the Texans after the Dolphins game, which would be some good to Sean Watson, you know, takes as well too, and talking about the difference in those two franchises as well. But uh, until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Red Radio. And thank you for spending your afternoon today with me, Chris. Thanks, Matt. Go Astros. <laughs>